You know, there are two words that are often uh, used to describe Christians by people outside of the church. One is hypocritical. What's the second one? You know it? Judgmental, right? Hypocritical and judge, don't, don't cheer for that. That's not a good thing. But hypocritical and judgmental. And the interesting part is that James really talks about both of these. And so because of time this morning, I wanna jump right into it. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to James chapter two. And if you're a guest, super glad that you're here. Hope that you'll keep coming back. Uh, we're in this series called Waking the Dead because we've been looking at how the church can be full of these spiritual zombies because James says, if you're not using your faith, if faith without works is dead, not talking about salvation, heaven or hell. He's talking about faith, this side of heaven. If you don't apply it, this side of heaven, it, your faith is worthless to you if you're not applying it. He said it's dead. And so as we get to go into the passage this morning, we're gonna be looking at this because he talks about how really when we choose not to practice what we preach, we're hypocrites. And so when you think about today, here's what I want you, I want everybody to participate. If you have ever experienced judgment by another Christian, just raise your hand. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Don't, 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 oh yeah. Look, this is gonna be so relevant to you this morning. This is so good. All right, let's look at this. James chapter two, we're gonna start in verse one. And just so you know, again, if you're, if you're here for the first time, we kicked this series off the beginning of January. We started in James two, verses 14 and further, because that is kind of the crux. That's kind of the theme of the book. And so this morning, then we went back to James chapter one, verse one, and we've been working our way through. So here we are, James chapter two, starting in verse one. It says, my brothers... As believers, and again, so we understand in good context, he's talking to followers of Christ. He's talking to people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. And so he says, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Now, what's he mean? What's he mean by that? See, favoritism is simply choosing some people over other people because of preference or because of prejudice. See, you might find yourself naturally gravitating towards certain people, and you might find yourself naturally gravitating away from other people. He says, don't show favoritism. So he said, my brothers, as believers in our, Lord, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, those of you who have been totally accepted by Jesus, in spite of your sin, in spite of your dysfunction, in spite of all the broken promises, he said, this is what James is getting at to the church. He's saying, listen, church, listen, believers, listen, followers, listen, people who have freely accepted the grace and the goodness that we just sang about of God. Why do you now turn around and not accept those that might be different from you? Why then are you choosing to reject people when God doesn't even hold that category that you're holding of high value? See, this is the implication that he's gonna get to over the next few verses. He's saying, Christians, listen, listen. Who made you judge? This is what James is getting at. God has accepted you in spite of you. He's accepted you in spite of all the junk and the sin in your life. And then you turn right around and you impose judgment on the people around you over the most insignificant stuff. See, this, this, is, this is the question, right? What if God accepted you the way you 
choose to either accept or not accept others? What if God used the filter that you use? What if God you know, only accepted people with a certain IQ? What if God only accepted people that had a certain education? What if God accepted only people with a certain amount of money? What if God only accepted the Jews and not the Gentiles, the rest of you know, humanity? What if God only accepted certain people of certain skin color? Like when we begin to impose this stuff, and here's what James is getting at. He's saying, hey, folks in the church, hey, Christians, hey, believers, hey, brothers and sisters, hey, followers of Christ, don't divide yourself into these categories that God himself doesn't even use and didn't use with you. Now, look, he he goes on, verse two, he says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, which again was a, was a sign of wealth. And he says, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. And now he's gonna define favoritism for us. So check this out, verse three. He says, if you show special attention, this is favoritism. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, hey, here's a, here's a good seat for you. In other words, hey, bring him down front right? Let's make a special seat for him. He says, but you say to the poor man, hey, 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 you stand there and you sit on the floor by my feet. He says, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And again, you got to remember that the, the, the context, again, is most of these churches in the New Testament and the ones that James are really speaking to are, are a lot of small house churches, And so what would happen is if all of a sudden a person came in that had this ring or had a sign of wealth, they would have immediately probably gravitated because people that had wealth of that day had all the influence. And so they would want to bring them down forward and say, man, this, this guy that has money, he, he's, a, he's a resource now for us. He can help further the gospel. This, you know, we want to make sure he has a special seat. We're going to put him down forward. But see, this poor guy, he's not a resource to us. He's actually gonna take our resources. So we, we wanna we kind of keep him in the back, but we wanna give the favored seat to the other guy. And what James is getting at, he's saying, hey folks, hey Christians, here's what you've done. You have placed a value on people based on appearance. You've put a value Here we are, here we are in the church, people who have been forgiven and accepted by God, people whose sin has separated themselves from God and God out of his grace and out of his mercy and out of his kindness and out of his goodness and out of his gentleness, all of a sudden he entered into this world through his son Jesus, went to the cross to pay for your sin and my sin. And he says, and you so freely accept it and you so willingly need it and want it, but yet, and even though you didn't deserve it, you got two guys that walk into the back of your church and you're willing to forget all of the grace that you've received and now you're gonna place a certain value on one because of his appearance over the other? He says, don't show favoritism because God didn't do that with you. See, verse four says that we have become, he says, these judges. That means that you're drawing conclusions about people. That you've looked at, you've looked at the evidence as shallow as whatever the evidence might be, and you've drawn a conclusion. Guilty, too much money. Guilty, 
not enough money. Guilty, too thin. Guilty, too overweight. Guilty, certain skin color. Guilty, live in a big house. Guilty, right? And all of a sudden, James is, is what he's saying. He says, he says listen, you, you have begun to draw these categories, these conclusions. And he says, you've become judges with evil thoughts because there is a tendency to size people up. You know where that comes from? It comes from our own insecurities. So you and I will we'll size people up based on our insecurities. It drives me crazy when I would go to these pastor, you know, these, these conferences or whatever. You know one of the biggest questions I get asked when I go to these places and I speak or do different things? You know what I get asked? Hey, what size is your church? Size matters, right? you know what I mean? So, so, so apparently, talking about church, what are you guys thinking? Jeez. So, but again, when you start, when you start, you know, thinking through, it's based on our security. If a, if a rich man all of a sudden comes in, right? All of a sudden, why he says your evil thoughts? Because you, you have these thoughts. We can have these thoughts of saying, what benefit can I get from him? How can I gain influence because of being close to this person? He says, James is saying, your thoughts are evil. And so James goes on, verse five, he says, listen, my dear brothers, has not God, circle this word, chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? And here's what he's saying. He says, church, you valued the wrong person. You valued the wrong person. You honored the rich man and you've dishonored the poor man. And please hear me, if you have wealth, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you, accept you, care deeply about you, all that kind of stuff. You, you, I hope you know that. The problem is when you show favoritism, when you've honored the rich man and you've dishonored the poor man. Let me tell you how God thinks. God is more honored by the faith of the poor man. You know why? Because it's harder to have faith in a good God when life is not good. This is why God says it is, he has a greater faith. It is so hard when things, when it is so difficult to maintain faith, we sang about it, in a good God when life is not good, when, thing, when you're poor. And again, when you think about it, when life's hard, when you're sick, dying, when you've lost your job, when your marriage is falling apart, when your kids are drifting, you're not sure where they are, where they're gonna end up. It is so difficult to maintain faith in a good God when life isn't good. That's why he says with a poor man who still is trusting and following God, he says, that man is rich, that woman is rich in faith. And so James is telling the believers, listen, you've honored the wrong person, the person you should be honoring. This is the poor guy because he's rich in faith. And he says you, he will be given a special inheritance. He goes on, verse six, but you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? And are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? And again, in this, in this culture that James is, is speaking into, rich people had all the leverage. If you were poor, you had no recourse in the courts. And so they had all the leverage, they had all the influence. See, for some of you, the rich poor thing is part of your challenge, is part of your struggle. You make assumptions about people based on what they drive. 
You make assumptions about people, make judgments about people based on where they live or what they live in or the size of their home, or, and you don't know their story at all. Or you've done the same with somebody that's poor. You automatically assume that they must be lazy. You don't know their story. See, for a lot of you, that might not be the, the struggle for you. Maybe it's some people that you don't like. You don't like skinny people. See, I was told early on, you don't ever trust a skinny chef. That is true. But anyway, some of you have an issue with overweight people. Some of you older single ladies have a real problem with you younger single ladies. You know why? Because you're infringing on their territory. But we all have issues, right? Some of you struggle with white people. Some of you struggle with black people. Some of you struggle with uh, Hispanic people. Some of you struggle with Indian people. Some of you have an attitude towards divorced people. See, I, I find this so interesting. My dad, this is years ago, would not, my, brother's, uh, my oldest brother is 10 years older than me. And he, my dad would not allow my brother to date a girl whose parents were divorced. This is, you know, back in the 70s. And... Uh, and I remember as a kid thinking, like, why? You know, like, they're going to get something? I mean, like, like I, it, was really, it was really hard for me to understand. And it was so interesting how my father's perspective changed after he got divorced. Right? It's interesting how all of a sudden your category of judgment changes when you find yourself in that same category. Right? I don't know what it is for you. Could it be maybe you have a, a struggle or challenge with with single moms, like I wonder, you, you, these thoughts of I wonder what she did. You have an attitude, to attitude towards people that have bad taste. You know, did you see what she wore? I could never be friends, right? I mean, literally, every single, I've, I've heard all this stuff. And I just, I just wonder, just think about it. I just wonder what God is thinking when he hears our thoughts that go through our heads, that God's going, are you kidding me? Like really, you're dividing up the body of Christ because of what they wear or the car they drive or the education or the house they live in or their weight or their, or, 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 or their color or any, like, like seriously, like that's what you're dividing? Like that's, that's where you're, you're judging other people? You know, some of you, you struggle with stay-at-home moms because you feel like, you know, they're giving women a, a bad rap. So for others of you, you think you struggle with working moms because you don't feel like they love their kids and they should stay home instead of going after their career. For others of you, you struggle with people that parents that send their kids to public school because you feel like they're being negligent and they're unwise and sending their kids off to that you know, public school. For others of you that homeschool, people have a struggle with you because they feel like you're overprotective and you're not preparing them for the real world, right? Some of you struggle, you don't like athletes. Some of you don't like artsy people. Some of you don't like gay people. Some of you don't like Democrats. Some of you don't like Republicans. Some of you don't like the New England Patriots, and that's okay. Yes, yes. <laughs> and this is, I'm gonna say, this is two services in a row, and I get more cheers out of that than like anything else I say. See, some of you don't like uh, people with tattoos or body piercings. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I've had a tattoo for a long time, and, and, uh, and so I, re I remember, I, you know, I'm not, but thank you. Uh, but, but it's interesting. I, uh, I remember when somebody saw that I had a tattoo, this is a number of years ago, and they, they were really upset and bothered by it. 
And so they were, of course, they didn't come to me. They went and talked about to other people. And, and uh, you know, like, Pastor Bobby has a tattoo. I can't believe our pastor would have that. And when my kids look up to him and all, you know. Duh, duh, duh. And so I, I found out. And so I went up to him. I said, hey, I, I heard that you are really struggling with the fact that I have ink on my arm. And, and uh, I just wanted to talk to you about it. And they're like, yeah, I just don't understand. I just, you know. Blah, blah. I said, well, hey, I've, I've had this for a number of years. You've been coming to our church now for quite a while. And you said, you just now found out. I said, just help me understand. Like, how does having ink on my arm impacted my ability to follow Jesus, to interpret his word, and to be able to lead our church? I said, what it does is that it really doesn't say a whole lot about me. It just exposes your own prejudice. And so my question is, what do you do about that? And again, it's okay if you don't like them. Like, there's lots of people that don't like them. That's okay. See, it's like, like for, for me, Derek, you and Andrew, you guys love motorcycles, right? There's lots of you in here that you, I, 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 will, I will not ever have one. Why? Because I've had multiple friends that died on them. I won't let my, was my kids know that when you live under my home, you will never have a motorcycle. If you choose to do that outside, why? Is motorcycles bad? Do I think they're terrible? No, I would actually really like to have one. I just, I'm, I'm like scared to death of them because I've just had close friends that got killed on them. There's nothing wrong with, I just, I just have a preference of I will not be on those things. See, for some of you, you have an attitude towards white collar people. Others of you have an issue with blue collar people. Some of you have an attitude with people who have lots of kids because you think they're just irresponsible and they're just, you know, what, all this stuff. It's like my brother, my oldest brother has nine kids. I'm like, dude, you know how that works, right? But, but, but again, for some of you, you struggle with people that have like one child or two kids because you feel like they don't trust God and they're being selfish. See, listen to me. It's just a matter of time and you'll bump into somebody that falls into a category that you struggle with. And this is what James is getting at. And I just believe that God is saying, okay, let me get this straight. Like, you've sinned and apart from salvation of Jesus, you're dying and gonna spend eternity separated from him in hell. And you've, you've committed all kinds of sinful acts and, and behavior and, and, and you keep begging me to forgive you over and over and over and over again. And then you come in here on Sunday to worship me and you spend time judging other people based upon fashion, what car they drive, what they wear, if they're married, if they're not married, how many children that they have, come on. James is going, you can do better than that. You're judging people. And I just wonder if God says, what if I treated you that way? What if like salvation was dependent upon your IQ, was dependent upon your education, was dependent upon your income level? What if, what if it was dependent upon being married with a certain amount of kids. And I'm telling you, every single one of us in here, if God had all those conditional attachments to salvation, we would all, we would all get on our face before God and go, no, 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 it's, it's absolutely impossible. There's no way I can possibly try to meet all of those standards. There's no way that I can fit all those single categories. And James would say, exactly. So then why are you turning around and imposing that on other people? We're supposed to be the church, the body of Christ, and God has gone to extreme measures to unify the body, and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to discredit it. You're trying to divide it. 
And that's why God puts such a high value on unity. And so when we come across people that you struggle with, or you come across people that, that, that you're, you're wrestling with being tempted to judge, how do we respond? See, instead of seeing black or white, instead of seeing stay-at-home mom versus working mom, instead of seeing rich versus poor, instead of seeing dad stays home and mom works, instead of seeing all these different categories that we can put people in. Verse eight, he says, if you really wanna keep the royal law found in scripture, look at this, love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Do you ever stop and think about this? Think about it. Do you ever, do you ever stop and think that, you know, my feelings, my thoughts, I mean, come on, they're not that bad. I mean, come on. Do you ever, do you ever stop and think that those thoughtful, those thought things that you, that come into your mind when you see somebody that fits into one of those categories or whatever it is, do you ever realize those are sin? That's sin. It's sinful thoughts. And again, the, the natural tendency is to say, well, certain ones are, right? Like certain ones are, surful, are, 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 are you know, sinful, but not these other ones. I mean, come on. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that what James was really kind of saying was, hey, come on, hey, be nicer next time. Like that's what I'm sure he was trying to say. Like, hey, next time, try not to do that stuff. No, no, no. What he's saying is, James is trying to help us understand from God's perspective. He's saying that kind of, of action, of favoritism and judgment is sinful. It's just sinful. You're saying, well, I thought like adultery and lying and cheating and stealing and murder, like that was sin. And James would say, it is. And so is showing favoritism. So is putting people into these categories and splitting up the body of Christ. He goes on, verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles as just one, uh, excuse me, one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. And here's the implication that James is trying to drive home. If you show partiality, if you show favoritism, if you, you sit in the seat of judge, then you become a lawbreaker, that, again, just as much as if you had committed adultery. God's saying, all of it breaks the law. You're in sin. And God gave us these two laws. Remember them? The two greatest commandments. The love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what was the second one? To love your neighbor as yourself. And we tend to break something that's under one of these two laws. And the good news is, I'm just going to tell you, the good news at this point, up until this day, I have not seen anybody in the parking lot waiting to see what you're driving determine whether or not they're gonna sit next to you. <laughs> Haven't seen it yet, right? But here's what I do know. I do know that every single one of us in here will struggle to some level with showing favoritism or judgment towards others. 
It's just a reality. At some level, I don't, you know, some of you might have bigger levels than other levels and all that kind of stuff, but here's the deal. Here's, the, here's what James is driving home, and this is what we need to do this morning. We need to deal with it. That's right. And we need to confess it as sin. And see, when those things that cause you and I to judge others, what do we do? Instead of going in the opposite direction of them, we need to press into that. We need to choose to love them, get to know them, and treat them the way that Jesus has treated you. Verse 12, look at this. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that God gives freedom. He's saying, listen, we need to speak and act as those who are going to be judged, not speak and act as those those who are going to judge. You follow me? We need to be reminded, this is going to be so important, that you need to know that every single one of us in here is going to be judged. And as we judge others, so you will be held accountable to be judged. So he says, you need to speak and act as a reminder that you're going to be judged. So how do you want that going down? The royal law, that you are going to stand accountable for God for all of this. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. So in other words, when you stand before the ultimate judge, and you're going to stand, every single one of us in here is going to stand before God. And if you haven't learned to value what God values, and if you haven't learned to see people and treat people and care about people the way that God cares and loves and sees people, then one day you're going to stand before God and be judged for those judgmental thoughts. So listen, church, speak and act like people who are going to be judged by God's perfect law. And you say, well, why? And here we are, verse 13. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Ouch. I'm going to read it again. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. I love this part. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's say it together. Mercy triumphs over judgment. One more time. Mercy triumphs over that judgment. That means that when you're walking down the halls at work or out here in the church or you're heading or you're driving your car or you're at school or, or wherever it is where you're interacting with people, all of a sudden when you're tempted to judge someone, just remember, you're going to want mercy. Just remember, you're going to be crying out, God, show mercy, right? When you're tempted to judge that person, when you're you're tempted to see that individual or that category that you naturally tend to, you know, cause judgment, just remember when you stand before God for those things, you're going to be saying, oh God, please show me mercy. I love lots and lots of mercy, You're going to be screaming for it. You're going to be crying out for it because mercy triumphs over judgment. And we need to remember mercy is what I need to extend to those that I'm tempted to judge. I I need to be willing to show love towards those that I'm tempted to judge. I need to show grace towards those that I'm tempted to judge. To judge. I need to show honor towards those that I might dishonor in my heart because your heavenly father and my heavenly father extended grace and mercy and salvation to me Amen. and to you. 
So what causes you to not extend it to the people around you? So let me ask this question, and I'm going to close. Who do you tend to judge? What's the issue, the category, or the type of person that you struggle with or you struggle to accept? And when you see them in your heart, you might not let it come out of your mouth because you've built up a great filter system but you're judging, and you know you're judging. And my challenge for every single one of us in here, including myself, is that we would take a giant step forward in our faith this morning by saying, guilty. Guilty. I've sinned, and it grieves the heart of God, and God, I need to make this right. I need to make it right. My question to you, would you be willing to recognize those thoughts, those feelings towards others as sinful? And you, you just get with God. You say, God, will you please forgive me for being so judgmental and help me be reminded that I don't sit on the throne of judgment and help me speak and act as a reminder that I too will stand accountable for how I have judged others. I remember in college, I had an internship I had to do my senior year and, and, uh, and we started this ministry that was, um, I, I went to school out in Philly. And so we brought these youth ministries in from all different parts of the country. And, we would uh, help them understand the gospel and train them up and that kind of stuff. And there'd be hundreds and hundreds of students and we'd, we'd bring them in and we'd, we'd equip them and then we'd send them out into inner city Philly for about three different days. And I and, uh, had a number of different projects all over the city and, and uh, then they'd come back at night and we'd have a worship service and, and speak and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, and I remember there was a student that got off one of the buses And the way he dressed and the way he looked, he fit a category for me. And I remember looking at him and just like, man, that kid looks like he's just, you know, been hanging out with Cheech and Chong and, you know, he just, you know, looked high as a kite. You know, again, just just going down, just going, you know, he's probably, I don't know why he's here and, you know, hanging all over that girl, you know, just all kinds of just lovely thoughts that are going on in my head. And then over those next number of days, I watched this kid who had, he was probably the, one of the best evangelists I've ever seen, Love, had a passion for Jesus and had incredible influence in his youth ministry. Huh. And so I'm like, wow, what a jerk I am, right? And so I went to this kid. I said, hey, buddy, you have no clue who I am. But I just need to tell you, I prejudged you and I was so wrong. And I hope that you will forgive me because I've just been so impressed with what I've seen in your life and your actions. And, uh, and I am really regretful 
of my sin. Will you forgive me? He's kind of caught off guard. He's like, well, yeah, sure. But I remember walking away and God going, don't you ever do that to people. But see, it would have been easy for me to go, ah, oh, you know, I'll just try to do it better next time. I just won't do that. I just will think better of people. And you never crucify that ugly, sinful action in your heart. Put it to death. Side life, listen to me. If we're ever going to be a church that lives out its mission, here's our mission. You wanna know what this church is about? Here's what we're about. We're going to make and send disciples who love and live like Jesus. And if we are going to be that church, the church that Jesus called us to be, there is no room for judging other people. There's just no room for it. There's no place for it. And we're not talking about being soft on sin and everybody's just gonna, you know, listen to me, you'll miss the point if you think that's what I'm talking about. We're, we're gonna call sin, sin, because God calls sin. I don't have to judge it, that's God's job. He already calls it what it is. So we're not, we're not gonna avoid that. But you don't sit on the throne. God does. That's his part. You know what our part is? To love one another, to love your neighbor as yourself. So church, here's what we're going to choose. Mercy to triumph over judgment. Mercy to triumph over judgment. We're going to choose mercy. You know why? Because that's what Jesus did with you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for calling us up that you desire for us to be people that don't go around pointing fingers and judging others and showing favoritism and putting people in these categories and, and elevating some people because of whatever and you know, putting other people down or below because of other things. And God, that you have no part in that. You didn't do that with us. So why in the world would we ever do that to somebody else? God, that we would take this stuff seriously, even as our, as our prayer partners are down, that, that we would even come and we would pray with somebody to confess this stuff. Uh, that we, we want to make this right. God, we want you to take that stuff that's so deep in us. It could come from hurt. It could come from pain. It could come from years of whatever. God, whatever it is, it doesn't justify it. God, that we would call it what it is and we would crucify it. And Lord, you would help us walk in this freedom, being reminded that we need to speak and act as those who will be judged. So God, help us. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a God who you love us, even in the midst of our sin and our deceit and our broken promises and our dysfunction. You still love us and you invite us and you extend grace and kindness and you extend this incredible thing called mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment. God, thank you so much. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.